one time I put something like, and Todd likes to make fun of me. And that's how we started the episode. It's like, and Todd likes to make fun of Scott, you know, and off we go. So it's. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right. So my guest today is uh, Linda Zofi, who has promised me that she will not talk like a truck driver. Um, <laughs> I couldn't All resist lies. All lies, lies. So Linda, you uh, were introduced to me by a mutual friend of ours, Mike uh, Wansley, otherwise, you know, professionally known as Wans. Right. And I've known that individual, Mike, however, I'll call him Mike. Cause I call him Mike. Some people call, I him, call Michael. him Michael. I call yeah, him Michael. I, see, I call him Mike. He, he was Mike when I met him. And, um, anyway, so I call him Mike, we'll call him whatever, but anyway, he's yeah. the one that introduced us and he, he said, I should talk to you because, uh, through the years you've been involved in booking music acts in the Seattle Tacoma area. And so right. I want to talk to you about Washington state music and, cool the music scene. So I'm going to shut up and ask you to introduce yourself and give us a little background. Okay. So you said Zofi exactly right. So Linda Zofi, um, I've been in the music business, this crazy world since, uh, April 1st, 1980. It started at far West entertainment, um, and was there for 13 years and then went out on my own and started my own company in 93. And, um, that's kind of, where that went. I learned a lot about the Seattle music scene um, because of my involvement at Far West. Um, I ended up picking up Booking the Bite of Seattle. And then the year that we started Booking the Bite of Seattle, they also threw in Taste of Tacoma. So I'm born and raised Seattle, but um, Tacoma for me was like, I don't know anything about Tacoma. Where's Tacoma? Never been to Tacoma. Do I need an overnight bag? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm not sure I can do this, but we fumbled our way through it. And I've been doing um, the festivals for 34 years. So, wow. yeah. So a couple of questions, you just, sure. you, or one, an observation and then one a question. So you, you said you started in 1980 and then you opened your own company in 93. Right. Why is it that that sounds like such a long time? 1980 to 1993 sounds like decades to me forever yeah it just doesn't seem it's like i know it's only 13 years but i don't know the 80s were <laughs> the 80s and they went by in a blur that should have been a blur anyway so that was the one but then you also mentioned when you started booking the the bite of seattle they threw in the taste of tacoma so is that right. the same group that runs both events yes it's okay. um they're they're privately held um events by a company called festivals incorporated Alan Silverman is um, who thought up um, the Bite of Seattle and then its sister event, The Taste. Um, Initially, Al was a restaurateur in Seattle. And in the 80s, um, restaurant businesses were closing right and left. It was really rough. Mm -hmm. So he tried to do something to kind of boost the restaurant industry. So he started this tiny little event down at Green Lake um, with one stage. Yeah. And... um, just brought kind of, I want to say a handful. I don't honestly know the exact amount because I actually wasn't involved then. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'll say, you know, 10 or 12 of the best restaurants in Seattle and they served a small little taste of what their, whatever their best 
entree was. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of to get people a little teaser to get people to come to the restaurant. So, yeah, so that's how that started and then grew and grew and grew. And then Green Lake didn't want them anymore because all the neighborhoods were, you know, you, we don't have parking, so on and so forth. So they moved it to uh, Seattle Center. But uh, Taste of Tacoma has always been Point Defiance Park. So it, they call it the um, largest family picnic or oh, did call the... it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we unfortunately haven't ha- had festivals since 2019. We were, I was within seven bands of completing both Taste of Tacoma and Bite of Seattle schedules in March 2020. And it all came to a screeching halt. So when you started... Let's go. Let me ask this question this way. So when you started in 93 booking, how many bands were you booking? Well, my business has always been client based. Um, so I, my deal was I wanted to be the one stop shopping for whoever, whatever you were looking for. So mm-hmm. primarily what I was doing with my own company was corporate events um, and both local, regional and the name talent stuff. Mm-hmm. So um I've never really specifically booked certain bands. However, through the years, I've also gotten to be really good friends with certain bands. And they're mm-hmm. like, we don't want to deal with this. We want you to deal with this. We want you see, see this is my full-time job. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, you know, you answer the phone, you answer the, there weren't emails at the time, but you answer the emails and, <laughs> you know, let us be the musicians. Um, and so through the years, there have been bands that have been attached to me. Um, but it's kind of been a handful only, you know, so, I mean, literally like five, six, maybe. So I think I misspoke my question. What I was asking, that's a great answer. That was gotten there. (laughs) But what I was asking is how many, for like, when you started at the, the, the bite of Seattle, how much music was being booked initially is what I, and and I didn't phrase that right. So that's okay. Well, that's another quick question. Um, so the bite started out Tacoma and Tacoma had one stage. And three days of music, they vacillated between three and four days, depending on where the 4th of July felt, fell. Mm-hmm. Um, so they tried to include the 4th of July um, in their event. But then finally that got figured out that it was that was just too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just picked a weekend. Um, so there's one stage there. So there was give or take about 30 bands um, okay. in Tacoma. And then Seattle, I want to say, always had two stages in the beginning. But Seattle got up to five stages at one point. Um, wow. And interestingly enough, at that time, all five of my stage managers were women. Okay. So, yeah, kind of cool because they were the best at what they did. Okay. So, yeah. So, so that's, a lot, that's bite, a lot of talent to coordinate. Yeah, more or less. I mean, usually around 200 bands every summer festival season, give or take. Two, depending wow. on stages. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. So, so every year I, I psych myself out and I'm like, I'm not sure how I can do this. Walk me through the process of picking a band. Okay. I mean, in the sense like, I, I you know, you've got, uh, let's say you have a national name, you know, you want that person, right? Sure. But let's say, yeah. How does somebody get on your radar? How do you, are you listening to a bunch of me? I mean, walk me through that. Okay. So back in the day, um, people used to mail in cassette tapes. Um, or then CDs, but was cassette tapes for years and years and years. And I mean, there was no such thing as any sort of online demos, whatever. Um, so I would get literally tapes wrapped in toilet paper 
and you know, you'd open the envelope and it would smell like smoke. And you're like, okay, this person's a smoker. <laughs> but um, I had to go through personally every single one of the submissions that came in and there was an avalanche. And there were certain days that I would sit down and it's like, okay, today's the day I've got to listen to these tapes. And so I would go through and be like, pretty quickly, yeah, this will work, or mm, they need a couple more years into their belt before we look at them. And I, I've always been one that has wanted to do a, a wide variety of music at the festivals and kind of cover everything from grandma, grandpa to down to, the, I didn't book children's entertainment, but right. a large um, variety of people. We, at one point or another, because of the stage sponsors, specifically in at the bite, the radio station sponsors, we mm-hmm. leaned music a little bit towards their genre, but um, still within that, even, you know, mixing that up still, there was a fire dance group that we had that was on the classic rock stage and not that any of them, you know, go together per se, but it was a cool, the fire right. thing was like, okay, they closed actually for several years at the bite on the Saturday night. And that was just a cool thing that I wanted to do because I met the mm-hmm. people um, through the corporate work. And so we kind of included that kind of stuff, but yeah, there's a wide variety of people. So to get to 200 acts for a season, how many did you start out? I mean, how did you, (laughs) how many, how many, you know, how many, how many, I'll say bands, but yeah, I mean, hundreds. I, I mean, I probably, I joke when American Idol came out, it's like, I have American Idol in my own office at my house every day. It's like, I don't want to watch American Idol. I want to know anything about it. <laughs> That's too much like work for you. It's like, I exactly. Um, it, I, I mean, I would probably say to narrow it down to 200, I probably had between four and 500 submissions sometimes. It, okay. it went out as a press release to mm-hmm. the music stores. Um, and it was like, okay. And, uh, you know, like the labels, um, any of the recording studios sent a press release out and said, you know, now's the time, send your stuff in. So, um, that's what they did in avalanches. When did that go out in relationship to the, I mean, how, how much time were to you? The event? Yeah. Um, generally the press release went out. Well, it started probably March, April, something like that, you know, and then the events are in end of June and and third weekend of July. So Mm -hmm. I had kind of a short time frame to put the schedule together, but then it got to the point where, um, the sponsors of the events or the sponsors of the stage wanted to know who was playing. So, um, they kind of needed to know that before they'd sign up kind of thing. So my deadline got pushed is my point. So I started for the longest, um, January 1st, January 1st, it was April 1st. And then it got moved up to March 15th that Mm -hmm. I had to have a schedule kind of set in in place. And all of the bands were like, uh, you're asking me for this summer. I don't know what I'm doing next month, but, um, you know, it, it came together, came together. One of the funnest things I will tell you as an aside, um, for me is calling that, green little band that's never played anywhere but i really liked what they were doing genre wise or something and Mm -hmm. so i'd call to schedule them and then as we're hanging up the phone i'm hearing them screaming in the back like so excited that they got offered a spot so and that's also one of the cool things is 
giving that little green band a big stage and a big sound system and a full-on crew um, and a sound man. Most of them don't even know, like the monitor guy they think was a sound man and they don't know how to, who they're talking to or what they're supposed to ask for. So it was a cool opportunity. So I have what I think are simple questions. I know they're hard. (laughs) It's okay. I know they're hard and, and, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot. But I, I, I got to ask these two questions. Cool. So in all the years, so there's, there's the problem I'm asking you all these years. <laughs> but in all these years, I'd like, can you think of when you were getting these submission packages, you mentioned, you know, you opened one and you go, oh, the guy's a smoker. Okay. Anything stand out both like, wow, that was an impressive, like, wow, this is really cool. I mean, look at what they just sent me. And then the flip side to that is, did anybody like really make a mess of the whole situation? Like, did, did you, you know, I love to hear the successes and the failures and I'm not asking necessarily to name names. Yeah, no, um, no. Go ahead. I probably wouldn't but, be able to. Yeah. <laughs> but did somebody, did somebody, is there something that you remember that was like, that you really, that left a, a memorable indent? Right. right. Um, well, the one wrapped in toilet paper, the, the cassette tape wrapped in toilet paper, as opposed to a case or padding or something. Um, that one made it obviously. <laughs> made an impression so that was a good one um there have been some really creative stuff that the bands have sent um with like band swag kind of thing Mm -hmm. um you know or a t-shirt or a coffee cup or whatever that and i can't remember now somebody i remember i don't remember what specifically they sent but somebody sent something that i remember was like wow that was really cool but I, I mean, I can't tell you. It might have had to something like it wasn't this, but say their band name had something to do with chocolate. So they sent chocolate kind of, you know, right, right, something right. like that. So that would go, oh, yeah, that band. I like that band. So, yeah, yeah some well, people got creative and others is just, you know, straight. But, you know, I, I, I will say that that I didn't I listened to with the same ears the toilet uh-huh. paper wrapped cassette tape to the, you know, the professionally done CD kind of thing. And you can hear after having done it for this long, you can hear through stuff. So that's mm-hmm. why I would get a lot of people, particularly um, original acts would be like, well, you know, we've just got like the, the dirtiest track and it's mm-hmm. not been mixed or whatever. I'm like, send it. I can listen through it. I'll be mm-hmm. able to tell whether it will work for our band or not. So I remember when I was younger yeah, positive. <laughs> like, but I I used to like to go to Grateful Dead shows, mm-hmm. and to get mail order tickets, people would do artwork on the envelope, thinking that oh, that the, cool. the, the, the people somebody- that would, it, but the dead would actually, they actually there's websites where you can see all this this artwork that people have done. That's so and, cool and 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 intricate, crazy talent, and I have no artistic talent at all, and we did we did win the lottery and we got tickets to the last shows that they did what in 2015 in chicago and we drew on our envelopes and oh we get one day we'll be happy well we got picked for all three days but i just remember i mean just the intricate artwork and so i was kind of wondering if bands would be doing the same sort of thing to you know any anything to get that little edge over their right right over their competitor one of the things one of the bands did actually they had already been booked um but every year well send out the package they get accepted blah 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 whatever we had to get a stage plot um to get to the crew so they knew how to set things up before the band got there and one year one of the bands actually 
I got a box and I'm like, what in the world is somebody sending me? I opened the box and it's a full on 3D stage plot <laughs> with little Muppet guys for the band members and a little paper drum kit and microphones that were made out of paper. Clips. I mean, it was, it was fabulous. It was the best. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. See, that's... Roll Route 3. They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. So you're going through hundreds of submissions to book 200 acts. That's just still makes my head hurt. <laughs> and I'm sure every single one of them showed up punctual on time. Never right. had any problems. Never, never, had any problems. never. <laughs> yeah. That's on my list. That's one of my things that I was going to, the no show bands or the late bands okay. where you're just like, Oh my gosh, now what are we going to do? Um, mm-hmm. And because of traffic and, and thing, I mean, so the beatniks played at taste of Tacoma one year. Well, taste of Tacoma, it's Pearl street in and out yeah. to point defiance park. That's it. That's your choice. There it is. And it gets backed up. And you don't have any recourse. They were like, we're not coming back unless you give us a helicopter. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, how do you, I mean, let's be honest. Musicians are some of the most punctual organized people in the world. Right. <clears throat> right. Dear friends. And that right. describes them perfectly. It perfectly. But how do you, so I, I mean, just out of curiosity, how do you keep, the trains moving, if you will. And yeah. you've got a schedule, you've got five stages simultaneously. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm sure you most- got some stories there. Yeah. I was going to say that was mostly left up to stage managers. Um, in Tacoma, oddly enough, me being an introvert, it's weird, but I was the MC um, on one of the stages oh. that, that got started really oh. back in the early. Yeah. Go figure. Um <laughs> I started doing festivals in 1985 and I'll say it was maybe 86, 87 or something very soon after the first year um, that I got tapped to be the MC for Tacoma. And then occasionally in Seattle, if something happened, but um, the stage manager was in place where I couldn't be, but I always mm-hmm. made a point of no matter what, I, what event I was doing, I was going to all of the other stages to see a little bit of what I booked um, mm-hmm. just to make sure that they saw me seeing them kind of a thing. Sure. Um, so the stage managers are me on whatever stage that they're stuck on and they know what I would do or how I would. So bottom line is to answer long winded question. Um, punt. So if the band, <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> if, if the band is not showing, they're all told that they have to be there an hour before they're set. If they're not showing up and it gets closer and closer and closer, we are letting, you know, the parking lot people know, we're missing this band. If you see them, if they need the cart, get to us quickly. Um, we had a golf cart that ferried gear back and forth. Um, and then it's like, okay, if the band before them is doing well, or it's a popular band, then just have them play longer. Um, mm-hmm. So people mm-hmm. would do that. Or if it was a band, there's like, we have a 40 minute set and that's all we have. Then it's like, okay, who comes on after? Can you go on earlier um, right. and just lengthen their set? Um, Oddly enough, for I don't know why or whatever reason, but there's a band Encore um, that has played for years. Um, and it always seems to happen around their set that somebody doesn't show. So they, God bless them. They've done, you know, in the bright, hot sun, 90 minutes, almost two hours, you know, no break and full on choreography and the whole deal. Um, wow. And bless them for. Yeah. So some of the bands have had the opportunity to do that. And it's helps tremendously. And then other times you're like, just, Oh, well, 
<laughs> what are you going to do? It's festival world. So, so yeah, what happens then? The stage just is quote unquote dark for an hour. Yeah, you know, just, we just in, yeah. In, in, now go play on and buy food. Yeah, yeah go play, buy, play buy the radio food. station. Yeah, okay. yeah, and people come back. I mean, that was sure. the other thing is so it was forty minute sets, twenty minute stage changeovers for the crew, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. which is uh, insane, but they pull it off every year. Um, mm-hmm. And they would just, I would always tell a band, don't worry, people will leave when whatever band has finished their set. But as soon as you start, they'll come back because they'd freak out where, you know, the lawn or whatever in front of the stage would clear. And Mm -hmm. they're like, oh my gosh, you're playing to nobody. No, no, they'll come back. And sure enough, they always did. Multiple questions again. So the (laughs) crews, so the crews for these events, are you responsible for uh, the, the, Hiring and care and feeding of the crew? <laughs> um, indirectly, yes. American music, um, going back in the day, was mm-hmm. was involved since the very beginning. Um, and they did the sound and backline for the stage in Tacoma. I mean, I'm sorry, at Green Lake. Um, and so mm-hmm. then they were brought into Tacoma. And then they had the contract for years. And then American music went out of business. And um, there was like a bid process again and some of the same guys um that had been working the event but working now for somebody else we sort of they incorporated them the crew um (laughs) so i'll kind of back up being a woman in the business Mm -hmm. um in a particularly male dominated business it took a while for me to establish with the guys that i knew what i was doing and that i wouldn't let them down and um that i had their backs and i expected them to have mine Mm -hmm. um so there's a guy named rich clark um that passed away sadly in 2013 um that was part of the original sound crew um Mm -hmm. and he sat the guys down literally sat the guys down and was like linda's your boss linda's the bottom line if she says something that it's what you got to do and I expect you to give her respect. And and mm-hmm. it was, they did. There was one guy was laughing because there was one guy on his crew that literally came up and said, who's my boss? And Rich is like, she is like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I, I don't know what his deal was. And I'm like, Sorry, dude, you're working for me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. 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 But, but the crew was fabulous. I mean, they, they, it's three hard days. And like I said, with a 20 minute stage changeover, that's insanity. But, you know, with the backline there, it's not as bad. But I mean, I, I booked, you know, bands with huge horn sections, and a whole slew of vocalists, or a gospel choir, and they mm-hmm. had to on the fly, get it done, get it done, get it done. And we were known for staying on schedule. That was one of our big things. The other question I had is about the bands. Were they, are the bands compensated? Are they paid to perform or is this a, uh, like a, a, an event where they're not paid, but they get, you know, in front of eyeballs that they wouldn't get in front of normally. Good question. And that, the, the latter, um, it's a promotional performance and mm-hmm. always has been. Um, and there's a lot of people that's kind of a controversial kind of situation. There's a lot of people that don't, subscribe to that and that's okay they don't need to play we don't you know it's like i'm not yeah it's not trying to twist anybody's arm it's you play because you want to you want to be there for any number of reasons for 
playing for your family, playing for your kids, playing outdoors, playing because your other friends are playing and you guys all want to hang out. I mean, it's just wide and varied. But like you said, having eyes see you that wouldn't necessarily go to the club to see you or didn't know to go to the club. But now that they have, they will. So, yeah. Can the can, could the band sell merch? 100%. They, okay. Yep. So they could, you know, if they if they are skilled at merchandising, they could do quite well. And I mean, a lot of bands did. We had people come from California um, that submitted and drove up and sold all their seeds, sold every single one of the CDs that they brought and, um, and were able to drive back on the money that they earned and then some, you know, so everybody was happy, but yes, the, a lot of people sold a lot of merch and that was, that's for sure. And they kept 100%. Yeah. Well, you just said something that's interesting. So even though my podcast is about Washington state and we were talking about the Bida sale and taste Tacoma, but what's the farthest uh, a, a musician or an act travel to perform at one of these that you can think of you said california, california so is there yeah. any california's california. the farthest yeah i think that's so cool. i mean people came i want to say from idaho but that's still not as far we got mm-hmm. a lot of bands a lot of submissions from oregon um okay. yeah i would say california is the probably mm-hmm. furthest yeah yeah it, it was fairly prestigious i have to say to be asked yeah. to play for a number of years a lot of people were like oh you're Linda, you do the bite of Seattle. I'm like, Oh Lord, <laughs> what have you heard? <laughs> it's, it's funny for me now. Also there's bands used to tell me that they were like super scared of me. I'm like, why? I'm not a scary person. They're like, Oh, well you just had this reputation. Now they're like dear friends, but right. you know, before they're like, it was like you call her. No, you call her. <laughs> like Jeez. what? Can you, I guess I'll ask you to name drop. Okay. Can you name drop any bands that might have played on either of the stages that have made it big? Like you know, we we yeah, saw them in their that, yeah 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 for sure. Um, there's a couple that come immediately to mind. Vicky Martinez being yeah. one. Um, so Vicky, the first time she played in tacoma i think she played in tacoma first because she was from tacoma from tacoma from 2002 yeah. um oh, wow. so wow in addition to having people submit promo to me if there was somebody that i was on the fence about i would go out and see people as well um well, that'd be the part of the job i'd hate that'd just be horrible <laughs> i have to go out and see live music yeah, right rats <laughs> i'm sorry Jeez. Some tough i'm kidding people I'm sometimes people yeah. sometimes people take me seriously no i'm kidding right, be right, awesome. right. but so vicky was in a talent show um, and I was asked by somebody that had played the bite of Seattle previously and, and had put this talent thing together. He's like, would you be one of the judges? I'm like, Oh Lord, really? You really want me? Oh man. And this was kind of when Simon Cowell first came out and all of that. And he's like, yeah, cause you'll be the Simon Cowell. I'm like, Oh, for crying out loud. I've got that reputation. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> So sure enough, um, we had this, they, they had a theater and, and I was one of the judges and they had vocalists and they had bands and they had various different things, people doing different performances. So this girl comes out with a guitar and she's like in, I want to say high school, um, if, yeah. not, if not junior high, it might've been junior high. Yeah, she was um, very young. Yeah, very young. And then she had these people's troop out after her that was the band and turned out it was a band called Dr. Funk um, that learned her stuff 
backstage within a short period of time because what was coming in front of her and behind her were bands. And so she's like, the only way I can compete in this contest is to have a band back me up. So this young girl, young Savvy. lady, young woman, yeah, smart. Savvy. Smart. Yeah. Um, she got up on stage and her stage presence at, you know, whatever she was, let's just say 15 or 16, was amazing. And um, and the band did a great job backing her up. And she, I think, I don't think she won. Um, but nonetheless, I looked at her and was like, wow, she's somebody. Then I went, wait a second. I think I've seen her promo. She sent me promo for the Taste of Tacoma to perform. And so I went up to her and her mom at the end of the thing. And, I, and I'm like, did you apply to the Taste of Tacoma? And she's like, yeah, I did. I'm like, you're in. So for <laughs> years, <laughs> years, I had Vicky play until she actually really kind of hit. And then sadly, she was always, she's like, I'll come back and play with you anytime. I'm like, yeah, well, I, I won't yeah. force you. <laughs> so she's I, one. That's that's um, cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you go back long enough to know Dan Reed Network. Oh Do yeah. Remember the, okay. So I know Dan Reed Network. Yeah. So Dan Reed. He's living in, he's living in Slovakia, I think. Slovakia, yeah. I was going to say Russia yeah. somewhere. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So Dan played um, yeah. in the early years and he uh -huh. played just before he was signed. Um, and then he actually came back and played again in 2009, 2010 as uh -huh. like a solo duo thing. I've okay. always, Dan, I've always, always loved. So he's been one that was really fun. As a matter of fact, funny story about Dan is one of the times that he was playing um, at the Bite, he was playing on the Mural Amphitheater stage. Mural Amphitheater, mm -hmm. years and years ago, had a water moat around the front of the stage, kind of to the front and the side of the stage. That yeah, looks like yeah. the old days. So yeah, I remember that though. Yeah. He's playing his set. He jumps off the stage into the water with his guitar. The stage crew was freaking out because they're afraid he's going to get electrocuted and he's splashing in the water and he's got his guitar and he's singing and he's doing his thing and and it got back out it's all good everything was fine but that was like the crew about lost their marbles <laughs> i'm sitting here going uh yeah wow yeah okay yeah so let's see um aaron jones he played uh 2012 2013 um yeah, he's out, he's out on a national tour now yeah I think yeah, his it's own been, solo. It's been really fun to watch some of the people that it's like, yeah. oh, back in the day, we had them, we had them. So um one of the radio stations for a long time did like a label deal where they would mm -hmm. bring somebody that was looking for exposure that was young um to play the event. So they it was they were sponsored. Um mm -hmm. they brought Sass Jordan, who at the time um, I don't think she's out anymore. I don't know that she means anything to anybody at the time, but at the time she was like pretty big. Mm -hmm. um, we had Meredith Brooks play, uh, huh? who was known. She was local here as well. Um, actually, Portland, um, but was okay. known for a song called I'm a Bitch that um, kind of took off. It was like one hit wonder kind of thing. But um, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. OK, OK. Um, actually, Train played in 1998. Oh. So uh, they were brought by one of the radio stations, Colin huh? James, Michelle Branch, and Willa Ford. Actually, we had Don Ho play in Tacoma in two thousand. Yeah, in two thousand and one. <laughs> um, and then I know we've talked about it before. We had Tower of Power and the Village People for the one year, and I can't tell you what year it was. I can't go back that far. My memory doesn't stretch that far. Um, 
but it was the one year that the Seattle Center decided that they were going to gate the Bite of Seattle. Um, so to offset the fact that they were going to charge a cover charge, we brought two name talent bands. Um, and I still have the feather from the village people, Native American chief guy. Um, so that's <laughs> and, and then one of the fun stories about the other, the construction worker, um, to use we didn't have a green room in anywhere near the stages. So they had to use a conference room inside the center house um, as their green room. And I'm trying to hustle them down to the stage because it's like close to getting on time. And, right. and the construction worker had to put his blue sequins on his eyelids and I had to wait until the glue dried. <laughs> I'm like, dude, just get on stage. Um, but so <laughs> when they played, they actually built the stage for the first first one and done ever never happened again but build a stage over the fountain um so the actual stage where well, they obviously didn't run the fountain that year but um the actual stage was out in the middle of the fountain and then we had this ramp that went to the stage um so you can imagine getting gear on and off the stage mm. was a lot of fun but there was um corla weigel i will never forget she was deathly afraid of heights so, and she's, her band's playing and she's the lead vocalist. And so I had to get her, I had to walk her across this ramp and I'm like walking backwards across the ramp and she's walking and I'm like, just look at me, just look at me, just look at me. Don't look down, just look at me. And we're like inching our way. So that was one of the fun stories about, oh gosh. yeah, getting people on stage. Um. So, yeah, so I think that's kind of, the names that I came up with that went anywhere. Um, there've been a lot of people that have kind of, you know, hit or, or sort of huh. a little bit locally, but, um, like, really like, like who? give me, give me a couple of names. <sighs> Rats. <laughs> Naturally you're going to ask me. Um, of course, of course I'm going to put you on the spot. Come on. <laughs> lady A. Um, you might <laughs> okay. know Lady A from, yeah, from she's going mm -hmm. through the, the Lady A issue yep. right now with getting her name. Um, yep. Bernadette Bascom. Bernadette was, has been kind of a local, um, blues R and B, but she's kind of local legend, um, around yeah. the area. Uh, Fat City Smokehouse kind of did some stuff for a while. Um, Greg Fisher did yeah. some stuff. Uh, Let me ask you this question. Yeah. Through all the years, through all the years. Now you you book these bands. You listen mm -hmm. to tapes. You you might have gone and seen them in person. Did somebody come up and surprise you? Like like you were watching their set and you're like, wow, I had no idea. Like <laughs> you know, like either yes. good or bad. Wow, I had yes. no idea. But you know, yes, yes. Um, sadly, there's always one per year that either their their demo or in this case, you know, like online submission or something. Now you can pretty up a dog on the internet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. And it was like, Whoa, boy, that's not what their demo sounded like at all. Um, so well, not to name names. Cause I don't want you to, yeah, to do I that, but, but like, but what, in what way did they, um, like just no stage presence, terrible no musicianship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just didn't have, like, they might've had one or two songs, but they definitely didn't have 40 minutes worth of material to actually play a mm -hmm. whole set or, they sounded great on their demo and it just didn't translate live. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I, there's have you ever like had to, 
did you guys ever like give the the hook to any band? Uh, did you? Um, no, they off the stage. did it themselves. You know, or they okay. lay their little set and then they'd be like, "Okay, that's all we have." Um, so yeah, we've <laughs> gone short a few times, and there's actually been a lot of pleasant surprises too, where something's like, "Oh my gosh, they were just really good." I can't specifically tell you, um, right? That a band that you know knocked my socks off. Well, like one of the, do you remember Jumbalasi? From back in the day? Yes. Okay. Yes, so I do. Andy O used to sing with Jumbalossi in the beginning. And then Andy went out and started his own deal. And they got a guy named Alex Duncan um, okay. that was from originally from St. Kitts. And um, Alex was kind of the, you know, he was young. He was really young. He was a new kid on the block. Um, he came and he was my master of crowd control. He got up on okay. that stage and people, he'd be like, come forward, come forward, come forward. And they would just like little sheep come forward. And then <laughs> he, he would get them. And then he'd be like, you know, okay, we're moving to the left. We're moving to the right. He had them going whatever direction that he said that they were, and they all did it. And all at once, it was awesome to watch. So that was one of the fun ones that was like, okay, it's fun to see somebody kind of take control of the stage like that. Okay. Um, any weather related disasters oh through the gosh. years? Yeah. Yeah. We, for a I long, hate to bring up all the bad things, but no, come on, okay. it makes it make, we it all, makes it actually story. is always entertaining yeah. and we all learn something from it. Yeah. Yeah. For many, many years, we did not have stage cropping because, um, they didn't like the way that it looked. Um, uh -huh. so they wanted it, you know, big open outdoor stage. So, you know, not only we have sunburned people, um, and sunburn crew really badly. Um, mm -hmm. we had other occasions where there was so much rain that they had to get like squeegees out to squeegee the, the water off the stage before the bands could get on stage because they were afraid they'd electrocute. So yeah, it's, so it's it, like a mini Woodstock. Yeah. A little bit, a <laughs> little bit Tacoma, Seattle didn't rain Seattle. The third weekend in July was chosen specifically for a reason and yeah. because it's the sunniest, um, right. Tacoma was typically always that last weekend in, in June coming on the 4th of July, which is notorious around here for rain. Um, right. And we got it more often than we didn't. It was interesting, yeah. though, in Tacoma, my running joke was I always booked a band called Po'okela Street Band that um, was from Hawaii and did Jamaican-Hawaiian. Um, and every year that they played, if it was raining, it would break sun on their on their set. It's very That's weird, but cool. it always worked. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we had some, like, over a hundred degree days in Tacoma that were insanity. And then Seattle too, when it's all that cement gets really hot. Yeah. That's, that's, I can't, I wouldn't want to, yeah, that'd be tough. Yeah. That was a rough one. That was a rough one. Um, but so what? yeah, this, you know, that's kind of the weather stuff. We, we ended up for the past number of, of um, years, they did put a big um, stage covering. So. Why do you think the bite, and the taste have stayed so popular through the years, not just from a food standpoint, but you know, you, you, you've got more bands applying every year than you have so bots, right? Mm -hmm. So they still, why, why do you think, what are some of the reasons that these, these things have endured? I mean, this um, is a long time. It is a long time. Um, I mean, I think that they, you know, the bite of Seattle started out as the only, food and music festival period they they were the granddaddy they started it 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think people have a lot of fond memories. There are certainly naysayers, but I think a lot of people have fond memories of the bite in Green Lake and then um, Seattle. The one thing, I mean, not to pat myself on the back or whatever, but um, the bite and the taste, I not only booked original bands, but I booked cover bands. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a huge thing. There was no place for the cover bands to play. And mm-hmm. so I, they seemed to be the ones that would almost be the anchor where people would come because they know the music and they wanted mm-hmm. to dance or whatever. So um, they would come because of that. And then they would catch maybe a original act before an original act after. And I think maybe that's kind of people, the audience, the, the citizens of Seattle and Tacoma sort of knew what to expect. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and they enjoyed the variety of stuff. And then, you know, being able to have some food and hang out in a park like setting or whatever with your family, it's just doesn't, there's not that many opportunities. There weren't that many opportunities. Um, and I have to say that, you know, I think that the quality of entertainment has something to do with it. I think the quality of the restaurants, that it's not just hot dogs and pizza that some of the other community ones do. Um, so yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, we try and make it as, um, professional and, you know, like I said, we, one of our things was on time, stay on time, stay on time that, you know, if we have a schedule and somebody comes and they want to see their friend play at three o'clock, they don't have to wait around till four 30 before they get on the stage. So yeah, that's pretty frustrating for people, especially. Yeah. 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 Well, one thing you mentioned and you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but I, I'd like to go back and ask more about that. Is you mentioned, you know, you're a woman in a predominantly male industry. Yeah. Which I've never thought of it like that. Not that I, by no means am I, I'm no, just no. a music fan. Right, right. But I've never, th- I never thought like that it was a predominantly um, male dominated industry until then I started thinking about the promoter names that I do know of. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. They're all men. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned that you started on April 1st and you know, which makes for lots of funny jokes, to, um, Exactly. <laughs> but, and you, and then, but you also told me before we were, when we were talking on the phone the other day that you started off as an office. office I started off as a receptionist. I answered the phone. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't get into this, to be, you, you got into the business, but you weren't a promoter from day one. Right? No, you were. No. You, okay, and I'm so not. Learned, I'm not a promoter now. I would not. Well, I'm. I'm a booking agent. I am not. Okay. A promoter. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you're okay. So you weren't a booking agent when you started. No, no, no. What? Walk me through those early years. How did you sure. move from? You know, being a, a front desk person, I don't know what the politically correct terms are to say anymore. <laughs> I so, don't you know. either. <laughs> you answered the phones. Right. Um, what, how, when did you start to think that you'd like to be a booking agent? I didn't. Um, so oh, <laughs> I fell okay. into it. And the interview's over. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so my best friend worked upstairs from Far West Entertainment. They were looking for a receptionist. Um, I applied for the job. I did my little typing test. and. I went on about my business. Um, I was unemployed at the time, so I was looking for work. And But I didn't really think I wanted to be in the flaky music business. Um, and it took them quite a while to actually get back to me. As a matter of fact, I had to call them and go, look, if if you want to hire me, hire me. But if you don't, 
I've got somebody else that wants to hire me and I have to go back right. to work. Um, like you know, I was just 21, just barely 21. Um, okay. anyway, so started there as their receptionist and, you know, typed all the contracts and, and got to know all the agents. And at that time, um, so in 1980, there was a lot of places to play. There was a lot of rooms. There was a lot of bands. The bands were touring. Um, Far West did a ton of, um, international stuff. They did a ton of tours across the States. Um, so there was, uh, there was a lot of musicians that were earning full-time living off of playing music. Um, mm -hmm. my point, because I don't like to be that, I don't know person. I went out to see every single one of the bands that we booked on a regular basis. I went out to see all of the rooms that we, um, were in charge of that I could get to reasonably without an overnight bag. Um, <laughs> so you which, never went to Tacoma. No, I was going to say, which was Tacoma and Linwood at the time. I was like, what, where's Linwood? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you can't get to Linwood without an overnight bag because of traffic now. Exactly, so it's okay. Exactly. All right. Um, anyway, so. I made a point of going out to see everybody. So I did that um, and got kind of a good under my belt idea of, because I don't want somebody to call. It was okay. So you have to go back to 1980, no computers, no, right. none of whatever. So <laughs> one of the tricks that the agents would do, there was only four agencies in town, far West being one of them. But um, one of the tricks that the agents would do is if they wanted to know if a particular room had, um, booked the competitor's band, either you would call the room and do the groupy voice of, hi, can you tell me who's playing? Or you would call the agency and be like, hi, can you tell me where Shots is playing next? Or whatever, just to see, you know, what was... so right. I had to do some of that. Um, okay. Just to try and figure out who was where, whatever. So people would call me as the receptionist. Hi, can you tell me where blah, blah, is playing? Or can you ask, you know, whatever question? And I'd be like, eh, hey, where is this coming from? So that was kind of my job to sort of shuffle people. But I wanted to have the answers. I wanted to know what this band was like or what that band was like or what this room was like or what the drive was like or what parking was. Um, so anyway, so we did that. So from there, I moved to the office manager was a sister of one of the owners and they had a big blow up fight. She left one day. So it was like, hey, Linda, you're going to be the office manager now. I'm like, all right, I didn't know how to do that, but I didn't know what that meant, but okay. Um, so I did that. And then it was kind of like, oh, and by the way, you're now the bookkeeper too. So I'm like, okay, never done that before, but I know how to add things. I have a calculator. So, okay. Um, so then I was in charge of collecting commissions, which was not fun to have to go to band members, you know, houses would be like, hello, you owe me commission because it's part of my paycheck <laughs> Pay up. Um, so you were a collection agent. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then from office manager, um, we got the account of the Bite of Seattle limitation Tacoma. And because of the bands that Far West booked um, and the variety that the festivals needed, I was doing the press releases for the um, Backstage and Ballard. And the Backstage and Ballard booked a wide variety of like folk acts and big bands and dance bands and whatever. So I knew those people. So they were like, okay, Linda, here, you do those events. You do the festivals because you know those people and we'll just collect the money. <laughs> like, ah. um, so anyway, so I ended up booking then the bite and the taste. So that was kind of my 
entry into the business. And then we had one person call randomly um, and they were having a large event at um, the Tacoma Dome and they wanted to book Reba McIntyre. And I'm like, okay. And realized that this company was actually serious. And um, so the agents didn't know what to do with it. So like, here, you, you deal with it. Oh my gosh. So at the time we had a company called Concerts West that was managing the Beach Boys and Earth, Wind & Fire and some other people. Um, And I went to the woman that ran the agency that was sharing office space with us and said, okay, I've got this client. They want, this is what they want to do. This is the money they have to spend. What should I do? And she's like, oh, I know who you should call. And so we kind of worked it all out and talk to the people and whatever and got the thing booked. So then it was like, well, that was fun. And it was fun because people, (laughs) the client spent money that they were happy to spend the day before the day of, and the day after, as opposed to the clubs that were like, well, the the band didn't draw. So now we're not happy with what we ended up paying them. So we don't want to pay them anymore. So that was the clubs The the -hmm. corporate people are like, this is my budget. Go ahead and spend it. Good to go. Um, so it kind of got into that. And then Concerts West, because I was doing some name talent-ish kind of stuff and um, also knew the bookkeeping, they brought me on to do budgets for Earth, Wind & Fire for several years. Um, oh. So I ended up doing kind of like some back behind the curtain kind of work for Earth, Wind & Fire. That was fun. Um, and I got a little bit more aware of what goes into booking a national touring act, um, Mm -hmm. on the budget side of it. So, so fast forward to 92, I guess, or something like that. Things were sort of getting rougher. There was less clubs and less places to play. Um, Mm -hmm. and I kind of saw the writing on the wall. I'll say that, um, and decided that I really wanted to book corporate stuff. I didn't, necessarily think that club scene was going to be a long lasting thing. Um, and so I talked to the owners of the, of far West and said, this is what I, this is where I see the money and they didn't agree. So I ended up leaving. Um, and when I went, um, I went to the festivals incorporated people and said, I'm thinking about going out on my own. And they said, great, give us a phone number to call. So that they were my first client. Um, okay. And I figured, well, that'll at least keep me busy for a few months. Because <laughs> um, that was February when I left there. And so kind of the rest is history. So I did a lot of name talent booking. I did a lot of corporate event booking. Um, I did, of course, the festivals. And then kind of worked into sort of the private sector of, you know, wedding receptions or anniversaries or whatever. Um, and at the time, I didn't really want to do wedding receptions. It was like, Oh no, you can't pay me enough to do wedding receptions. But now because things are the way that they are, it's like, bring on the wedding receptions, love them. I do them well. I can do it. So yeah. So So I got, I got, I have questions. Of course. I always have questions (laughs) and they're not Washington state related, which is just killing me. (laughs) But one of the best concerts that I ever have been to, and I've been to a, I think a lot of concerts, you know, five, 600 concerts through the years. 
Okay. A hundred of them were grateful dead shows. So, you know, um, those are fun. Seriously. One of the top three shows I've ever been to in my life was in 1980. Was it 80 or 81? Earth, wind and fire at the Seattle center. Yeah. They were, they were phenomenal. It was, it was the interesting story. So was that, do you remember, was that you were working? Was it 81 that that tour was, that was for the let's groove album. You asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, it was it was it was to prom- it was to promote the Let's Groove album. So that was '81 or '82, and we had tickets, and we were in college at the time. We had tickets. We came over. There's like four of us, and we were on the floor in the Seattle Coliseum or whatever it was called back then. Mm-hmm. Seattle Center, nowhere. Back in this Coliseum. Yeah. And the show's amazing. I had no idea what to expect, right? And Mike Wansley, you know, had this huge Earth, Wind, and Fire poster he got from a Tower Records store, you know, on his wall. I think he still has it in his condo, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think, I do. I think he still has it. And it's one of those ones that are like, you know, five foot by five foot. It's the things that were, you know, a tower back in the day. Anyway, show's over. I'm, my mind is like, wow. And I turn around, the house lights come on, and I, I literally turned like, you know, I'm turning to my right, folks. I turn to my right, and Wansley's standing on the on the the ring. You know, for the upper level, right? And he's like the first. And he's I didn't know he was there. <laughs> and it was he was the first person I saw after that concert. It was those are like seared into my brain memories. Yeah. So my question is, after that long, long rambling setup, was it fun to work around Earth, Wind, and Fire? It was. I didn't get to meet them much i was brought down to la specifically once because they wanted to know who was working on their budgets um you would think that's an important question yeah Yeah. Um, we've all heard those stories yeah so um i met verdine and philip but it was ever so briefly and i was so so young scott and at the time i loved earth wind and fire but it's Mm -hmm. like so often i want to kick myself because things happened that I think back on now and go, why wasn't that a bigger thing for you? <laughs> mm, but okay. at the time it was kind of like, okay, great. Yeah. Hi, I'm Linda and I'm working on your budgets and, and there you are. There you have it kind of a deal. It wasn't like, but I've never been starstruck over anybody that I've ever booked name talent wise, except this will be controversial. Bill Cosby. And it's because okay. I grew up with Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby yeah, was so always I. the Jello guy, and I right. loved him. And he was nothing but delightful when I booked him. Okay. Um, okay. But it was also it was like, oh, you're just Bill Cosby, but you're Bill Cosby. Um, mm-hmm. so it was that. But I mean, yeah. Other than than him, so I guess that you know goes with my reasoning is that I just wasn't. It was like for me, it was just part of the gig. It was part of the job. Well, and at the end of the day, there. They're celebrities athletes they're all people i mean yeah. you know i mean at the end of the day they're just particularly well known for being a musician or right. an athlete or an actor right. right right um they're just normal in every other endeavor that you know but i feel like i need to keep asking you questions what haven't okay. i asked you that was on because you did a, you put together a framework which is pretty I cool did. i did I what, what else what else didn't we well i know one other question i want to ask you uh-huh. so back when you got started you said you went to all the clubs and mm-hmm. you were checking them out because you wanted to know going back putting you on the spot back in the early 80s okay what were some cool seattle clubs you liked 
Um, like, Pier where 70. did you like to go see music? Pier 70, Pier 70? was where we yeah. hung, yeah, for the most part. Pier yeah. 70 and Astor Park were um, kind of the two places. So the Astor Park had most of Far West bands. Um, and mm-hmm. then Pier 70 had most of the dance bands that were booked by William Stefan and Associates. Um, mm-hmm. So they were the competitor. So I kind of, you know, went to see what, and, but we had bands, we had the far West bands play down there as well, but it was always fun. We were dancers. I was brought up. I'm an R and B funk girl from the okay. get go. Um, so we danced, we were dancers, you know, we would mm-hmm. get together. This is horrible. But um, during high school, um, one of our friends, mother was kind of MIA. So we would take over the house. We would have keggers and, and roll up the carpet and dance and dance and dance and dance. Um, and then when my curfew came, I went home because I was, (laughs) I had strict parents. (laughs) Did you grow up in the Seattle area? I did born and raised in View Ridge. Okay. Yeah. uh, Just above Magnuson park or it was called Sandpoint Neville station when I was down there. Right. Yeah. I don't remember. Did, did far West book the heats? Yeah. Yeah. Far West booked pretty much all of the, the, um, original bands. So the heats, the Cowboys, um, the allies rail, um, God, I can't even think of the names from so long ago. Uh, there's a lot of them, but those were, those were all of the, the names of, you know, bands that I, I saw a lot. Um, the heats, especially yeah. for me were, yeah. um, and you know, and I know, I know Steve Pearson, um, yep. fairly well. Yep. And, uh, and, uh, they were the great band. They were the band that a lot of people looked up to a lot of people looked up to somehow during that window of time, I saw them seven nights in a row. Of so course. that <laughs> is a, te- that's a testament to two things. One, they were hardworking mm-hmm. and two, I needed to get a different life. <laughs> um, but, um, they were always, I mean, no matter where they played, as far as I'm concerned, no matter where they played, they drew a great crowd yeah. and it was a fun crowd. It yeah. was a fun crowd. Yeah. And you know, other bands, they might pack in a crowd, but I didn't like, you know, people were maybe more aggressive or whatever. And sure. I didn't, I didn't have, that wasn't good for me. And Pier 70 was fun too. I'd, I'd go there more. That was probably the more mid, mid eighties for me yeah. when I came over from college to live yeah. in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. That would be about it for me. Mid eighties. So how did you, I mean, here's an interesting question. What, cause Wands introduced me to just R and B and funk. And there's some amazing funk bands from the late seventies, early eighties that just, I mean, today it's still music. That's really? super enjoyable yeah. for me. How did you, how did you get introduced to that genre? <laughs> um, going to school. So going back to, well, probably even really grade school, um, I could name drop, but that probably wouldn't be appropriate. Um, I hung out with most of the black kids at school. Um, I went to, I went to school, went to Eckstein, um, when they first started the voluntary and I use the quotes busing, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to integrate the schools. Um, so Mm -hmm. they bust a bunch of kids in and there were big time racial fights at Eckstein all the time. Um, and I was friends with all of the people that I was, you know, I obviously I'm white. I was had Mm -hmm. my white friends, but a big majority of my friends were black and 
So it just kind of went with the R&B funk thing. And then because, mm-hmm. like I was saying, that, you know, we were dancers. We love to dance. Um, well, it's great dance music. It is. Even though I, even though I don't dance, but it's great dance music. <laughs> so that kind of, that carried over through my whole entire life. So I, I guess that's the short answer to. That's the short answer. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. Pier 70, Astor Park. Were there any venue? I'm going to put you on the spot in a negative way. Any venues that you didn't like? Like you, for you, you just like it just like didn't work out. for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. There were some, some in Pioneer Square that were just kind of sketchy. I mean, like, you know, okay. there was an era that you could pay one cover and go to a whole ton of different clubs. Right. But it mm-hmm. was just the area was sketch to the point where you know we just didn't us in our short little skirts and high heels walking down the streets of Pioneer square <laughs> it just didn't go over real well so okay <laughs> okay yeah right. and then some of the outlying you know i mean there was there was a place called the silver lake inn or there was the linwood tavern that our bands would play right. and once again like it was like linwood you know big hair and gun wraps right. and um just places that you just didn't feel comfortable like you fit you in just- I get it. And then I now and, here yeah. I am living in Linwood. Go figure. Oh, oh, I, oh geez. <laughs> do, do you have a gun rack? Uh, no, no. And <laughs> okay. my, my big hair is not so big anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So what else, what else? I mean, cause we could, we could, this we could, could go on yeah, and I was on, but, say, we could talk yeah, about but what else, what else, you know? So what's the future look like for festivals? What oh, do you boy. think? I mean, this is, you know, we've kind of, well, we've not dodged. We've completely avoided the, the last year and a half, two years yeah, of, yeah. of, you yeah. know, societal change. Right. Um, what do you th- think will come back? Do you think f- festivals? I hope will, so. Will, I really hope so. Um, as of right now, the public knowledge um that i you know have whatever is the same as anybody else's um they are no longer um i am hoping that somehow they will resurrect that would be okay you know that would be great so right now you're telling me that at this point i mean the the bite and taste are not likely to show up in 2022 that might change yeah that may change I am hoping that that will change there. There's a little bit of buzz. I mean, I can say that, um, that there might be something going on, but I'm not privy to any of the details at all. So for me, right. you know, nobody's contacted and here's the other side of it. It could go on and not use me. So, right, right. you know, um, I don't, are I corporate, don't know. are corporate gigs coming back? They were, but then they started to cancel again. People are just not comfortable gathering large groups although i i got a I got a request for a proposal a couple of days ago for an event in january that's for six thousand people that i have a hard time believing is going to fly but you know okay. we'll see right. we'll see okay yeah so i mean it, let's hope so because this is how uh, i well, earn uh, my money well not not just not not to discount how you earn your money i don't mean like that right, at all right. but Things like the taste and the bite and an event that I really enjoy going to that's not in Seattle and San Francisco, hardly strictly bluegrass. Have you ever, have you ever attended that? Nope. Nope. Golden Gate Park, seven or nine stages. I can't remember. 
over three days with a million people. Oh my gosh. Over three days. That's national acts, national acts. That's crazy. Um, it's free. Oh, wow. No wonder there's so many people. It's, it's, um, there was a, a billionaire in the Bay area. He's passed away. And I can't I want to say his last name's Heilman, like the mayonnaise. I don't know how he made his money. I can't remember. He loved music and he kind of loved bluegrass music. And he started this festival and it's grown into not just bluegrass. It's, um, I've seen Dwight Yoakam there, Joe Jackson there, right. Boz Skaggs there, um, Dave Alvin, things like that. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Plant and Allison Krauss played there one year for sure that I know of. I mean, every year they're, they're unveiling of who's going to play is pretty fun to watch. And he donated. So he, he did this festival because he liked music. And then when he passed away, he pretty much set his entire wealth aside to run this wow. festival in perpetuity. That's awesome. And over three days in Golden Gate Park, which is huge. I mean, it's a massive right. park. A million people that get to see some art, pretty cool stuff, be entertained, and it doesn't. It's a for if you live in the Bay Area, you can go for free. Right. I mean, you don't have to right. stay in a hotel or anything right. like that. And of course, and I'd love to see Seattle, Tacoma area have things like that. And the bite and the taste are kind of like that, yeah, on a smaller scale, but they're yeah. still big events, yeah, 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 they are. And I, I would love to think that the city can support it again. Um, in some form or fashion. I mean, I, I should clarify that the city, I mean, support in wanting to help the event happen, but the city mm -hmm. is not financially involved. That's the, uh, one of the things that, that makes the taste and the bite different. Um, like mm -hmm. I said, that they were privately held. Um, mm -hmm. So they are not funded by any city event or any kind of budget or any of that kind of thing. Unlike the little nibbles of this and that and whatever that happen around in the different communities that are, you know, chamber of commerce gives them money and says, here, go, okay. you know, do their thing. So for what that's okay. worth, um, hmm, I'm trying to think if we've missed, we talked about so many things. I can tell you some goofy little things like sure. the bands did. <laughs> um, sure. In Tacoma, we had one of the bands that, um, band members, drummers that forgot drumsticks one year. Um, and so he just tore off limbs off of the tree that was hanging over the stage and used those for drumsticks. <laughs> that was a good one. I actually asked um, a couple of my stage managers, I'm like, can you think of stories? Because <laughs> so um, we talked about the lace band. Oh, uh, we've also had band members forget their bass or their guitar. So it's like, I'm going to play a festival. Wasn't there something I was supposed to bring? I'm not sure how that one, but oddly enough, <laughs> they were able to borrow a guitar or a bass from somebody yeah. else that was playing. And it's like, cool. Okay. And yeah. Um, so that was, uh, I'm sorry. That is kind of funny. It's like, uh, yeah. no, I'm forgetting something. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. I'll get there. I'll remember later <laughs> Yeah. when I get there. I'm like, how do you do that? Um, well, uh, drumsticks, I can understand because they're small. Well, like that I can understand. but if you're a drummer, but not, well, you know, might've thought that they were in packed in with the drums or something. I can kind of understand, yeah. but if you're a guitar or a bass player, you're carrying a case. <laughs> Something's missing. I don't know what it is. Oh yeah. That 
12 pounds of guitar and bass I'm supposed to be looking yeah. at. Sorry. No. Okay. So true. So true. That was a head scratcher. I was like, really? Um, we, the DB police, as I call them, we've all, you know, it, because they're in neighborhoods, both of the events are held in neighborhoods. We always have the sound police that come okay. and, you know, it's like, it needs to be turned down. It needs to be turned down. Um, Seattle center specifically, if the wind blows correctly, it blows all the music up until Queen Anne and then Queen Anne starts to complain. And when Queen Anne starts to complain, they have to pay attention. Um, so they came down one year and was like, it needs to be turned down. It needs to be turned down. And Randy Hansen was playing at the time and mm -hmm. it went the other direction. <laughs> He's like, I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> he turned it off instead. Um, we had crew that one year, uh, one of the stages for the bite was, it was during the time that the um, Fisher Pavilion was under construction. It used to be called the Flag Pavilion. So they mm -hmm. took all that down. So we had to move the stage um, that was in that area over to the sort of stair area um, before you entered down into the Coliseum. And so they right. built the stage there and whoever, whatever Brainiac built the stage, built the sound wings at the back corners of the stage instead of the front. Um, and thankfully I, for whatever reason that year I was down for setup day and I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, and then. The people watching. We have to talk about the people watching. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. That is some of the most. You've never seen anything fun. abnormal. Never, never, never. But, it, you know, it's like not a lot of people, except for the musicians, get to be on stage. So mm -hmm. I'm always, like, was particularly when I'm emceeing at the back corner of the stage, waiting for to take somebody on, take somebody off, whatever that kind of thing. Um, so, it's really rare that anybody gets to actually see what the band sees when you look out to the audience. And oh my goodness, <laughs> there's some stuff. <laughs> so that that's always fun. But then we have our cast of characters that come to the events every year and you have to love them because they're so, so consistent. This one elderly woman that um, would come and she'd be, mind you, it's in June at the Taste of the Comb, but she would be in a full-on wool overcoat and her little pillbox hat with some flowers on it and stuff. And she would sit in the comedy club and she had this just this sour look and she's like, it's too loud, it's too loud. And she would complain to the sound man, but she would stay there all day long. And if she wasn't there, she was at one of the other stages, my music stages, it's too loud. Like, go home. <laughs> Why are you here? Oh my, um, my gosh. And then we had a, um, a gentleman named Bill who he's must have since passed. He was elderly. Um, he had an acoustic guitar that he would come and had a cowboy hat um, and his suspenders and his jeans and kind of a heavy set kid. And a kid, he was an older man. Um, anyway, he would play his guitar in front of the, the stage. Um, and play along, you know, with the band. And then, then the next year, his guitar didn't have any strings. And then the next year, his guitar was just a neck. <laughs> and he's still stand there playing. <laughs> God love him. Um, and then he, there's another gentleman named Russell, who Russell's been around for years. Russell does air drumming. Um, 
and the beatnik. So he goes from stage to stage and he'll just drum in front of whatever band. Um, but one year the beatniks played and they had him come up on stage and gave him a drum, a drumstick and let him pound on one of the drums. Oh my gosh. He was just like in heaven. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then the dancers are just fun to watch. Be, we have the water sprinkler guy and the interpretive dancer. Those are the two that I could think of. But <laughs> <laughs> so I think that kind of that's. I, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I think kind of we covered most everything else of craziness. Um, you know, I can say made a lot of friends with a lot of band members and it was, that's one of my, I was so sad when we couldn't do the festivals because I didn't get to say goodbye to the people or thank you to the people that have played for me for so many years that have been, that have become friends because I've seen them for freaking ever and watched. We all grew up together. People got married, people had kids, all of that stuff. My, my stage manager brought her toddler and now who's both of them, her daughter and son grown adults. They grew up at the festivals. Um, right. One of the women had newly birthed baby. Um, Tiana brought her newly birthed baby with earplugs and handed her over to fire my stage manager to babysit while she was on stage playing. And then we've had people bring their kids up on stage. And so, I mean, it's just turned into one of those things where we're all family. Um, right. And I appreciate right. all of them. And I appreciate all of the, I, I generally will post on bite or on um, Facebook uh, after the bite and the taste. It's like you people make me fly without you. I, there is no me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Can you- I, this has been fascinating to Thanks. me. I think it's, you know, being, like I said, being a fan of music, you, I, I, I show up, I listen, I leave. Yeah. Yeah. I got my fun. See ya. Like most people. And yeah. And to hear, you know, through the years, I mean, I've, I have friends that are musicians and so they'll tell me their, their stories. And sometimes I'll, you know, I'll go when I was younger, I'd go help them tear down or something, you know, sure. things like just sticking around. But hearing, you know, hearing stories about events and, and hearing stories about the rooms that, you know, people you know, are involved in, in the bands and, and the characters and all that. It's just, it's just, it just adds another dimension to the whole, to my enjoyment of things. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel pretty lucky to have been able to do what I do for as long as I've done it. And, um, yeah. And just get to experience a lot of that stuff. And, you know, for me, the festivals and the corporate world, people come to the event, they're happy and they go away from the event and they're happy. I mean, there's, you know, the occasional weird fist fight or something at the event, (laughs) severely overserved people or in too much sun. Um, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, Oh, I thought you were talking about at corporate events. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that too. (laughs) That's happened. <laughs> Don't think it has. Sure yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure it has. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, well thank you. For thank the, you for making. I was gonna say, yeah, thank, thank you, you for, for making this happen. Thank you. Thank you. It was awesome. I'm glad that Juan's put us together. Michael. I am too. Michael knows a lot of people. As a matter of fact, he was one of the the. I don't know if I said this not or not, but um, Ghetto Monks played in 1999, and I want to yeah. say that's about when I kind of knew who Michael was. It might've been before that. It might've been because he had some of okay. his bands played at, um, or played yeah. for far West, some, but yeah, that was, kind that's of true. Yeah. That's true. I probably was at that 
99 Ghetto Monk show. Yeah, no doubt. No, no, I wasn't. I know I wasn't. No, I know I wasn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Linda. My I really pleasure. appreciate you being on. My pleasure. Thank you. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.